We want to start a new series today and we want to talk about why family matters. And uh, this is something really near and dear to my heart because uh, I believe that the healthy family is the fundamental building block of every healthy society. And you cannot have a healthy society if you do not have, have the basic building block of healthy families. And there is such a, an attack, such a press against the, 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 the family as described in the scriptures. And there are so many people suggesting alternatives and different ways. And this is a better plan. And this will work out fine. And I just want to say I, I don't believe that. I believe God has a dream for your family because family is his idea. And it's not just an idea that he fights for because he had the idea, but because it is his plan for wholeness, security, blessing, and belonging for all people. It's the best single possible environment for children to grow up and develop to their best selves. It's his plan for a man and a woman to be in a covenant under God with uh, loving and directing their children uh, towards the plan of God for their life. This is God's dream. This is his plan. Now, I understand that because we all live in this life, there are different types of families and families don't always fit into that perfect pattern. And I just wanted to take a moment to honor the single parent families in, in, in among us because whatever caused that, I just want to say I, I have a great admiration for you because um, uh, sometimes when I grandparent my granddaughters and I'm alone and I'm doing it alone, I'm like, after an hour, I'm like, okay, I need to tap out. Can somebody take over? And I just, uh, I, was, I was doing this the other day and I realized for the single parents in, in the room, I just want to take a moment and honor you and thank you for what you do. That is a supernatural thing you're doing. And uh, yeah, amen. <laughs> and I, I just want to add, I'm so glad you're part of a family here. And this is God's dream that uh, our family is not just ours, that we join the family of God and that together we can stand together and help one another and bear some of the load when it gets really, really heavy because... Uh, we all know that it does at some stage. We value community. We value the church around a family and that we as the family of God can help individual families and single parent families because families often need a wider degree of support. Let me just say that I believe that if there are single ladies or single men in this place, there are ladies, single ladies, there is no perfect man out there. God is going to give you raw material Young men, there are no perfect women out there. God is going to give you raw material. And as you begin to love her unconditionally and covenantally, and you put her first and you protect her and you provide for her and you encourage her and you cause her to know that she is loved even when she's not being lovable, then she will emerge into the dream woman for you. Ladies, there's no perfect husband. But if you will submit to him and support him completely, helping and encouraging him, causing him to believe that you believe in him, even when he doesn't deserve your support, then he will emerge into the man that God means for him to be. I want you to understand that nobody arrives perfect. God has a dream mechanism and he teaches principles. And he says, listen, if you will do it this way, your 
that beauty in that person will emerge and you will, she will become the woman of your, the wife of your dreams. He will become the husband of your dreams, but it's going to cost you listening to what I have to say. It's not just that, oh, marriage is an institution. No, no, no. Marriage under the, the voice of God, marriage under the Lordship of Christ, marriage in submission to the Holy Spirit will bring about a profound beauty that the world is longing for. And when you add children to that mix and the parents love and direct and discipline those children, they grow up in the healthiest of environments. So I want to talk a little bit today about God's design and knowing that there are pressures of this world and busyness of life and personalities involved. And that doesn't always mean that we fit this picture perfectly. So I'm not trying to heap condemnation on any of us because uh, can I just burst anybody's bubble? There's no one in this room who's perfect. We've all made a boatload of mistakes. Can I get an amen? amen. So, so we're not trying, I'm not trying to throw condemnation out here, but I am hoping that some of us in this room will catch a little urgency in our heart to say, I, I would very much like to, to listen to what God says. And I'd like, to, I'd like to turn my heart a little bit more to the Word of God because I want to start doing it that way. And I'm hoping that every single person in the room can leave with a little bit of a sense today of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust this one thing towards the scripture because I think if I adjust just that one thing it's going to make a significant difference in my family we're not trying to boil the whole ocean but I am trying to lay out a biblical requirement when we get into this series of family matters and the investigation of God's heart for healthy homes we need to get back to the manufacturer's guidelines this is the design and the guidelines that you get when you get a product and if you don't use the product in the way that it was designed to be used, it causes damage, and then the, the manufacturer is not usually liable. We bought a brand new uh, washing machine when we first got married, and we were so excited about our new whiz-bang washing machine that they delivered it on our doorstep, and we, we rusted in, and we took, out the, we took off the covering, and there was this whole manual, and I threw it aside because who needs a manual? And I plugged it in, and, we, and I cranked that baby up and it started to jerk across the room and we had a lady she jumped on top of it trying to stop it and she jerked and screamed across the room until it pulled out of the power we're like this thing is demon possessed <laughs> so then i opened up the instructions it said step number one remove the travel brackets <laughs> now okay maybe maybe you should read that first then Remove the travel brackets and it worked beautifully. We have too many people in our culture engaging with marriage, completely throwing the manual aside about how marriage is supposed to be ordered and throw it aside. They use it in a way that God never intended. They destroy it and then they say marriage doesn't work. Parenting doesn't work. an unbelievable amount of nonsense being suggested as good, normal, and acceptable behavior that violates God's word. And it's not going to end well because straying away from God's work never, ever has good consequences. Do not do it. So this morning, I want to come back to some of what the word of God says about how families should be organized and how they should be structured and what I should be doing in the context of a family to make it the beautiful thing that God dreamed it to be. What is it that we're trying to do with our families and what does the Word of God say about how we should do it? So let me suggest three things 
This is by no means an exhaustive list, but let me suggest three things that I think fairly easily pop from the scriptures about what we're supposed to be doing. Number one, we're supposed to create safe and loving environments with God as the highest authority. Okay? This is the dream. This is the best place for a child. Put a child in a safe and loving environment. Not wispy, not every now and again, but an environment as general as we generally are safe and loving towards one another. There is a mutuality of respect and we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ that when you come into the home, there is a sense, not that dad's in charge or mom's in charge, but both mom and dad are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the family lives under his Lordship. We hold up the scriptures as the primary source of of faith and values. That's how we function in this life. And if dad is not obeying the word of God, then we have the right to hold him accountable to the word of God because he's not the head of the house. The head of a woman is man. The head of the man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. I used to say, I'm the head of my house. And then the Lord took me aside one day and showed me the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, but the head of Christ is God. Because, son, you're not even close to being the head of this household. You're under my authority. And, and especially when I was younger, I'd have a fight with Michelle and I'd go to the Lord and say, that showed her and he goes, you're wrong. I don't apologize. <laughs> See, there's something about coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your family that sorts some nonsense out in your head. I'm not the boss of this. Well, I get to do whatever I want. No, no, I don't. I get to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I get to model Lordship for, for, for the wife. I'm saying, you need to submit to me. She goes, yeah, you need to submit to Jesus. Right? Isn't that fair? And Jesus is wholly submitted to his Father. That's how authority works. You get the authority of the one you're in submission to. I get a lot of husbands, I, I'm the head of my household. I go, I don't think so, because the way you're living, you don't have Jesus' authority because you're not submitted to him. It's just messing with a few knots. <laughs> so the Bible says, because we just, we're just skimming this, right? Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. What is that saying? This household is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we are going to submit to one another. If my wife comes to me and says, honey, you're doing this, but this is what the word of God says, then I submit because it's out of reverence for him. I'm not submitting to this or that. I'm submitting out of reverence for my Lord. So we submit to one another under the word of God. And there is a Lordship of Jesus that you can taste and feel in the house. If any one of us starts to throw our toys and get out of line with his word, well, then we, we have the authority of the word of God to say, you're out of line. Get back into line. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Live well. And live under God's lordship in your family because your children and your spouse listens primarily with their eyes. They're going to watch what you do and they're going to emulate what you do because they're going to catch what you've got, not what you say you've got. I can tell you I've got mumps, but if I actually have measles, you're going to catch what I got, not what I said. And your kids are going to watch you. 
It's my, one of my favorite stories. Nicole just loves it when I use her in illustrations. So, but, and she was, a, she was a three-year-old little girl. I came out one morning. She'd woken up early and she was sitting in the living room uh, with, her, with her little tea and her, uh, her children's Bible. She couldn't read yet because she'd seen her mother so many times when she came out of the bedroom. Her mother was sitting there in the, in the living room with her Bible and her tea, just spending time with the Lord. And my little three-year-old came out and she was like, this is what you do in the mornings. She grabbed it and she's sitting there waiting. Praise God. People around you are listening with their eyes. They listen to, to what you do. They listen to what you show is your highest value. They're listening to you. That's what God dreamed of. Malachi, has not God made you one? You belong to him in body and spirit. He's talking in the context of a marriage. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And for the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect. This is the traditional scripture where it says God hates divorce. Why? Because he wanted godly offspring. And so when you get married, can I just say this to married couples? When you get married and you start having kids, it ceased to be about you and your comfort. It is now about a, you creating a godly place for those children because God desires godly offspring. Well, it's, it's not doing it for me. I don't care. You gave that up. When you, when you came into a covenant, you, it stopped being about you. When you entered the covenant, when you stood in front of Almighty God and said, you can take it to the bank, you can hold me accountable for the rest of my living days, I'm going to be faithful to one woman, forsaking all others. And I lost the right to do whatever I chose. And then when we had a child, it became about us creating an environment so that godly offspring could grow. A godly environment under the Lordship of Jesus is the primary responsible of parents. Michelle and I tried to be spiritual about family devotions. We had, because it was important, and by golly, we had family devotions. And we called them and we sat down and none of us liked it. (laughs) Horrible. And then we started the, the Deuteronomy 6 thing where you just walk and talk and you bring Jesus into your life and you tell the stories and you when you're eating meals and at bedtime and when you're going off to school and when you're just in the daily life when you talk about Jesus when there were many profound moments that the Lord just engineered and you get there and you don't want, to, you don't want anybody to move because the moment is so precious and God will give you those moments. Number two, the second thing that we're called to do is parents are called to direct your children. I know this is not fashionable. I know this is not what our current culture says. Oh, you, you, you directing your children? Absolutely. And this, this finds its, its focus in two different ways. Number one, I direct them with constant directives. I am constantly taking my children and say, this is the way you should go. No, 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 no. This is the way over there. These are your gifts. That's what you should be doing. Well, why don't you just step back? And let them find themselves. No, if you step back, the devil will step in. The Bible never says, parents, step back and let other people dis- disciple your children. No, it's your responsibility. Nobody gets to disciple my kids but me. Nobody gets to, to have their hearts or whisper in their ears. No, no, no. 
No, no, no. My job, direct. Let me, let me just show you a few scriptures. Deuteronomy 6. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Four verbs. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Impress upon them. That word means to sharpen like you're sharpening a knife by constant repetition. The, the crispness and the clarity and the sharpness of your kids comes from this repetition. Impress upon them. Put your fingerprints. They, your fingerprints need to be felt in their lives. You're molding something. Oh, I'm just going to let them find their way. The Bible says a child left to their own folly will bring disgrace to its parents. Talk about them. Dis declare and command and promise and warn and threaten and sing. Bind them as symbols. I'm telling you, there should be something in your house that's a thing, that's, that's a visible sign that you guys as a family are going after. We had many times we had prayer, things we were praying for, up as stuff in our house. There'd be stuff written on the walls. There'd be, because bind there, there needs to be visible signs. The latest promise from God, stick it on a wall. Get someone to paint it for you. Write them down. When else did you write down something for your kids? Proverbs 22, this is the well-known scripture. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Train up a child. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Dedicate yourselves to inaugurate them in a specific direction, in the way, in the road, on the distance, on the journey, this is the way you should go. Sit down with your kids and discuss with them your gifting. You know what you're really good at? You know what I see the Lord doing? You have this personality type. I could see you, the Lord using you like this. Discuss with them what the possible reason God had for equipping them with those gifts and with that personality type. What redemptive kingdom purpose sits behind your personality and gifting? Well, I, I just feel like I, I should back off and let my kids express themselves and find their own way. I, I just want to say that is not what the Bible says. Bible says impress, direct, focus your kids in the way that they should go. That means I'm sitting with them, I'm praying with them, that there's a prophetic sense of what God wants over their life. Many times in the past, many times, we would find prophetic people who are gifted in the prophetic and have family moments where we prophesied over our children. I deliberately invited prophets in. I would have people with a prophetic gifting to come. We'd have them for dinner just because I wanted them. I wanted my, my daughter to be exposed to the prophetic sense of what God is speaking out over their life. And we have lived, we have governed a life to the prophetic many, many times after hearing the Lord speak supernaturally into her life that formed some of the way we walked and choices we made and subjects she took at school and where she went. It's not a random waltzing through life, serendipitous finding the way. It's a responding to what the Lord has said over her life. Train up a child in the way she should go. Because I'm telling you, can I just say this, parents? I'm, I'm just grateful to the Lord I'm not growing up today. 
Because I don't know if I would have done well with this access to everything on social media, on phones, and on. I, I just, parents, can I just say, please, 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 have some control over where your kids can go and what they can access. Please. But that's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like my father-in-law used to say, she used to say, everybody's going to the dance. He goes, not everybody. You're not. Everybody's got a phone. Uh, uh, not everyone. Parents directing your children is you deliberately pushing them and focusing them, saying this is the way you should go. And secondly, it's also setting clear boundaries. You, you don't go there. We don't do that as a family. No, that's not acceptable for you. Now I understand that built into the heart of a child is the, is the delight and the glee to push against the boundaries that you set. That's the nature of human beings at the current stage of our but we have to direct our children with clear boundaries, that, that there are boundaries that you set is an important piece. Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I understand you know, you, when the Bible's talking about rod, it's talking about a very specific, deliberate process of discipline. Don't get knotted up with rod. I'm not saying you should go and find yourself a stick and beat your kids. I'm not saying that. And I don't think the scriptures are saying that, but the scripture, I do want you to understand that the Bible takes this extremely seriously. Discipline your children, Proverbs 19, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. I met so many people who refuse to discipline their kids. Their kids grow up and then the police have to discipline their kids because the police, because they've had, nobody's ever told them no. So they come to the church and the first time they're in church in the children's ministry, they hear a no. They go, who do you think you are? They, they get rebellious. Why? Because you didn't do your job. And you're, oh, it's fine. Oh, no, but you know, they're just, they're just creative, expressive people. Yeah. And one day when, they, when the law says you can't do this, they're going to say exactly the same thing they said to you and to you know, the church. They're going to say, and then a merciless official is what Proverbs says, will be sent after them. And then when that happens, you go, Look at this. This is horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. Could have been averted. But it would have meant that I had to take some of the heat for saying, we're not doing this. No. No, you can't do that. Proverbs 23. Do not withhold discipline from a child. <laughs> if you strike him with a rod, he'll not die. If you strike him with a rod, you'll save his soul from the hell. Again, I'm not saying don't beat your kids. I'm, I'm not at all saying that. What I am saying is I'm trying to get you a sense. I'm trying to get you a sense of how clearly the Bible talks about this responsibility to say to your kids, no, 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 we don't do that. Proverbs 29, a rod and a reprimand will impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Verse 17, discipline your children and they'll give you peace. They'll bring you the delight you desire. So let me ask you, when last did you set a boundary? Boundaries must be reasoned and they must be consistent. Somebody said, having children is like living with your heart running around outside your body. 
right? Because you can't help yourself. You just care about them. But I just want to say that um, it's not about me teaching my kids so that other people will think I, I'm a good parent. It's not about that. It's that I have a responsibility to train up a child and to keep them from evil and to bring them to wholeness and to release them into the call of God on their life. At a minimum, at a minimum, your children must obey you enough so that you can save their lives. I've known some families where the kids just will not listen to the parents and the kids running out into the street and the car's about to cross and I'm going and they go, he never listens to what I say. I said, he's not going to be with you for long then. Because there must be something in their child that eventually when you say, no, we're not doing that, there's a line and they know there's a line. How many times do you have to say no before your kids listen? Number three, let's move off that unhappy subject. <laughs> Can I just say, if you hear nothing else, please hear this. The Bible anticipates that you have a very deliberate focus on the direction that, you, that you're moving your children towards and a very clear set of boundaries that you say, no, we don't do that. Because if you don't have a family set of boundaries, then your children will imbibe what the culture says. I grew up in South Africa under apartheid. It was normal for white people to view black people with a certain disdain. And one day there was a, a, a man came to our house. I must have been four or five years old. And a man came to our house and he, he asked if, he, if there was any food. And my mom went inside and made him some food and came out with a package and gave it to him. And I was four-year-old and I ran behind him and I pretended to kick him. And my, my father saw and he called me up and he reprimanded me. He rebuked me. He said, son, what are you doing? We don't do that in our family. That's not who we are. So you apologize to that man. This is not what we do. I will not have you acting like that. See, if you don't do it, your kids will imbibe the culture. And the culture is most often anti-God. Please don't let the culture grow your kids up. That's yours. Set a boundary. We don't do that. And we don't do that. This is not what we as a family do. And let me tell you why. Because the Lord says this. And my kids are, are rebels and they, they don't want to listen. Eventually your kids are going to grow up and they're going to make choices of their own. That is the most foolish thing on the planet. Because when a child stops honoring their parents, they, they lose all capacity to get an inheritance from that, a spiritual inheritance from that parents. Because you get an inheritance from whatever you honor and you get no inheritance from whatever you dishonor. That's a spiritual principle. Honor your father and mother, which is the first principle in the scriptures that comes with a promise that it may go well with you in the land of your inheritance. And if you will not honor your mother and father, you don't get any inheritance from them in the spirit. But if you do honor your mother and father, you ride in on their backs and every inch of ground that they've taken by faith and perseverance and good works and, and press through, you get all of that for free. And to the last place where they've, they've accomplished all of this, and if you've honored them, you get all of that for free and you start where they finish. And so it is inevitable under a godly ma uh, uh, family that children will always go beyond where their parents left off. But when the children dishonor their parents, then they have to start at ground zero and they have to fight for every inch they get. 
So what we have is constantly, generation after generation, starting at zero again. Because nobody taught the kids, honor your father and mother. Am I preaching to anyone? We can't let the culture, friends, we cannot let our culture decide how parenting should be done. Well, it's just not comfortable for me. Number three, fundamentally ours to pass on a spiritual heritage. Children are a heritage from the Lord. That's what Psalm 127 says. Fundamentally, children are given to you because they're heritage. God didn't just want to give you kids so that you'd be happy. He gave you kids so that what he does in your life can continue on beyond your life. Children are a heritage from the Lord like arrows in the hand of a warrior. An arrow in the hand of a warrior is a dangerous weapon that's going to go beyond the warrior. An arrow arrow in the hand of an artist is not going to go far. But an arrow in the hand of a warrior is a dangerous thing. And God said, arrows in the hand of a warrior are children given to you when you're young so that you can launch them into the call of God. This is the implication. Deuteronomy 29, the secret things, they belong to the Lord. There's so much that the Lord knows that I don't know. I'm happy to just give him glory. But the things that he's revealed, they belong to us and to our children. There are some truths that God has revealed to you. Some aspects of who he is, he's revealed to you. The secret things, they belong to the Lord, but the things that he's revealed, they belong to you and to your children. Do your children know about your testimonies? Do your children know about the stories of God in your life? Joshua. Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they'd taken out of the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over. And the Lord God did to the Jordan what he'd done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we'd crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord God is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Build a pile of stones so that your kids ask, what's that about? And go, stand here. This, God opened this river up. That's how we came into the promised land. Psalm 78. I will open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter things hidden, things from of old, things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. Netflix is a poor substitute for you passing down the truths that God has given you. If you let Netflix disciple your children, they will unlikely be godly warriors. You have spiritual authority over your children. Pray. 
Greg, you don't understand. My kids are fully grown and they re- they rebels. You still have spiritual authority over your children. Pray. I was in rebellion to my parents for three months, refused to speak to them even. Long story. My folks went to prayer, began to pray for me. They tried to lead me to the Lord. I said, I don't want your Jesus. And that, that night, after I'd stolen their car, drove the car back in, prayed and said, thank you, Lord, that I didn't crash the car. The schizophrenic moment, while to their face, I'm saying, I don't want you, Jesus. Walk back into my bedroom, lie on my bed and say, Lord, don't listen to what I said. I really need you. I've been that guy. So I don't buy that. I don't need you, Jesus, because I've been that guy. And I just want to tell you, parents, your prayers, don't, don't you let their facade stop you from praying. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You have authority in the life of your kids. And I don't care how long they've been away. Yeah, I'm telling you. I don't care how far away your kids are, what they sing, or how old they think they are, your prayers have power because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I want to close the meeting today with a prayer for families. But I'm going to ask Liesl to come up because we were just spending some time and Liesl has done a great job uh, over the last few years of just, uh, just a little exercise. And I thought, what a great way to just give you some practical application of some things you might want to do. Liesl had been sharing this and I love what they do. So this is Liesl. I told her she was going to preach my third point. But... Okay, I'm kind of nervous. So I'm just going to read this straight up. Um, in 2006, I became aware of documenting testimony and prophetic words for my children so that they would have the opportunity to always review what God had done and is doing in their lives. And so fortunately, I could go back in journals um, and pull words and memories and testimony of who they were and who they were called to be from inception. So I then started to write them an annual letter um, that reviewed their achievements, character, growth, their identity, and God's call on their lives. I added a few photos or highlights of the year, and then most importantly, prophetic words. I received words for them on various conferences from men and women that we trusted and and that loved the Lord. And so I would add these to their letters. Some of it would be for this is what you've overcome in this year. And some of it would be this is where God is leading you in the future. And so it was helpful for them to know what God was revealing to us as parents over their things. And the characters, so even things we weren't seeing or didn't like, we could address. Um, some of the, these letters became treasure, treasures. And so what I started doing was um, I would give them a new letter every Christmas. It was part of the Christmas gift. Um, and so it became a treasure for them. It's something they look forward to. Some years were harder than others, so they got them in January. <laughs> so I, I gave myself some grace. Um, but I always made sure it was an evening where, you know, we could have a favorite dessert or dinner um, and just take the time to um, revel in what God was doing. Um, and so my children get to look back at these letters and they can see God's merciful hand. Um, and I can see the blessing of being intentional um, and building a place in their lives for his story about their lives. Um, and so we see his love for our children and we can turn our eyes in all um, year after year to his faithfulness over us and them 
in times of peace and in times of adversity. And our children have got to see the prophetic weave and inheritance they have through these years. And they have testimonies to share and reflect um, when the outward world, their feelings and their struggles do, ma- do not match with the call that God has for them. Um, when Tamika got married a couple of years ago, I told her I was writing her last letter. And then I was like, eh, I'll just write to both of you. So they still get letters. Um, it has been profound in the sense that Tamika has been able to take on this prophetic heritage and refers to her words often when she needs reminders of who she is and whose she is. Um, she's also begun writing letters and praying for her, her expected child as well in the hopes of creating a heritage of words for him to use in his future. And we're blessed that Zachary can stand firm um, on the words that have been prayed over him. And we're incredibly thankful for the tenacity and courage um, he has to persevere and always look up making um, go and no-go decisions in his life. And there's no correct way to create a heritage or a journal, but I do encourage you to apply the knowledge and wisdom that God has given you in practical and tangible ways for your families so that you can build testimonies and inheritance that speaks to them. Because sometimes what you're seeing in behavior and outward is not what God has for them. So what you want to go is beyond that and call out what God has for them. And um, so if you're intentional with that, it was just... Thank you. That was beautiful. Thanks so much. We've had great testimonies of healing in the last few weeks here around here. God's just doing something. And I want to dare you to ask God for healing for your family. And if there's some aspect of your family that's a little further away than you want it to be from what the scriptures say, I'm just going to ask you to just trust with me. God, bring healing and draw us together under the Lordship of Christ. And uh, if there's a child that's particularly wayward, uh, just let's, let's just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm crying out to you because you have authority in your children and on their lives. And so I'm going to end the service with just that prayer. And you don't have to stand, but I'm pretty sure that pretty much everyone in the room is going, Lord, could you attend this prayer, please? And so... I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us a minute to just be quiet. And I want you to come to the Lord and say, uh, Lord, help me. I, I want to just declare this with all my might. Jesus is by nature a redeemer. So no matter how far you may be out and your family may not look like the perfect model, I just want to say anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, he as the redeemer will step into the gap and his grace can make up the difference. So let's not get into it. No one under condemnation but everybody in expectation that God is going to do a miracle in your family.